the key challenge is uh, two fronts one is of course the logistics of it uh, essentially how does one transport and process this biomass from the farm to an industry uh, the second aspect is uh, right no farmer would be interested in investing their time and money in uh, in participating in this in this value chain if there is no economically viable off tech market while listening to understanding the future podcast i am the host punit gandhi and this podcast is developed in association with climate center for cities under the national institute of urban affairs and the ministry of housing and urban affairs this is a podcast where we discuss about the future of work in the field of climate change urban development innovation and sustainability with the help of leaders and visionaries working on ground as well as in the top management of public and private sector Our objective is to better understand the future so that we can be prepared and intervene to enable climate actions in the urban areas. Hello everyone. This episode is being rebroadcasted. This podcast was originally recorded by me, your host Punit Gandhi, in June 2020 when I had just started recording the podcast independently under the title Understanding Future. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Thank you. Hi Vidyut, uh and welcome to Understanding Future. We uh, good to have you over here on board for our episode on understanding future of biomass so with you if you would if you can just give a brief background about yourself to our audience that would be great to start off with hi puneet uh, thanks so much for having me uh, pleasure to be speaking with you i uh, the co-founder of takachar uh, what we are trying to do through this company is uh, drastically scale the utilization of base biomass in the form of uh, agricultural residues to make various kinds of uh, products like solid fuel fertilizers uh, specialty chemicals and uh, we are trying to do this through technology hardware technology uh, uh, that essentially enables this to happen right and uh, we are also trying to build a marketplace that connects uh, farmers to uh, the end buyers of such products uh, leading to uh you know increase in farmer incomes through the sale of their crop residues uh, but also addressing the problem of open burning of crop residues which is uh, which has been contributing to pollution problems in uh, not only many parts of india but many parts other parts of the world as well that that sounds pretty interesting and i really like the idea and concept so you have said what takachar does and what it is planning to do and you guys basically sell something called it activated carbon so is this all solid fuels fertilizers and all part of activated carbon or how does that function yeah i mean that's something uh, activated carbon is uh, that's something we are starting with but the same equipment can be used for to make solid fuel and fertilizers okay. so biomass is very context dependent each biomass uh, it can be custom tailored to make specific kinds of products right so not all biomasses are suitable to make activated carbon for example okay. uh, so what we are trying to do with our equipment is uh, our equipment allows uh, all these different biomasses to be used to make these different products uh, obviously as a startup we cannot have our focus uh, everywhere so we are starting with activated carbon for now okay 
and so you guys have a hardware piece which helps in uh, processing specifically crop residues any specific type of crops or any kind of crops can work in that whole thing any kind of crop residues so we've tested with rice husk coconut shells you know uh, sugarcane bagasse uh, sugarcane trash wheat straw paddy straw so we i mean uh, various kinds of uh, crop residues that are usually based and are uh, generally of no value okay and so where can this activated carbon be used uh, because you are starting from there i would at least like to understand where where is the exact use case of this scenario uh, yeah so activated carbon is typically used in uh, purification of air and gas streams right uh, polluted air and gas streams so it's used in a water filter water purifiers at home okay. it's used to use used for industrial water purification it's used for municipal water purification Uh, companies like Coca-Cola, Pepsi utilize that to purify their uh, water for the drinks they make. Then it's also used in air purifiers, it's used in power plants to remove mercury emissions. It's used in mining as well uh, for uh, purification of the extracts. So it, it has various it's a lot of it has various applications involving uh, removing out uh, impurities. Okay. and uh, specifically with air pollution then i'll come to that point uh, how is it used in like can we use directly it in uh, for masks and all which are currently a lot in demand for sure yeah so some 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 masks do have activated carbon okay in their uh, filters but uh, a lot don't and uh, so yeah i mean so that that is one application but it's 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 primarily I mean, if you have to just remove uh, PM two point five, PM ten, it's not really needed. Okay. But if to remove actual organic compounds like volatile matter or you know some something something as dangerous as mercury emissions or something, and you know, so then then it's uh, very important to have it. Okay, okay. So then I'm assuming it is not uh, also used a lot in air purifiers that ha- that are used in homes, especially in places like Delhi. in air purifiers uh, it's uh, it's used actually in some uh, air purifiers uh, but in masks not that much okay okay yeah so that's quite interesting and eventually you plan to take these products further into solid fuel uh, and what will be the use of solid fuel if you can just clarify on those lines yeah so in the case of solid fuels uh, what it does is obviously the process of making solid fuels from biomass is that established uh what it does uh, this process allows is it adds value to that solid fuel it increases the calorific value of the fuel right uh, so essentially what that would do is it would i mean the produce um, it would fetch a higher value in the market because of the calorific value and uh, at the same time it reduces the lot of the logistics associate logistical costs associated with uh, the entire biomass value chain hmm. so if you are if i mean our equipment is small scale and decentralized okay so if you are able to upgrade uh, this uh, biomass uh, close to the site itself where it's generated so it makes it a you know, dense carbon rich material that um, reduces the logistics cost of transporting uh, by up to 60% oh wow and uh, so that has a benefit uh, there as well okay and then you can basically use that solid fuel to either for gas as well as for producing electricity if i'm not yeah so various thermal applications can be used in boilers right typically so initially if one has to start small one would typically sell it to boilers 
smaller boilers. If you're able to scale well enough, then you can, of course, uh, supply to large thermal power plants like NTPCS come up with biomass uh, pellet policy okay. for, for white pellets uh, as well as for uh, bio-coal. Okay. So that's, that's a potential business model I think you would explore in future once you have better market reach. Uh, right, yeah. Once you're able to achieve some scale. Okay, that's that's quite it. And the fertilizer, I'm assuming it directly, like, because it's uh, activated carbon or something, you can directly put it for plants and they'll get more carbon out of it, or is it something else? Yeah, uh, so that's a good question. So with fertilizers, uh, that's something that we are actually much closer to market than, uh, say, uh, with solid fuels. Okay. Uh, I mean, what essentially... Uh, what we're trying to do is, is to make a complete fertilizer product that has the uh, NPK nutrients as well as the carbon that the soil needs in one package using uh, the output from our machine as a substrate. And uh, what it has is uh, the potential to, we're trying to see, I mean, a lot of it is still in the research phase. We're trying to see, you know, if we can reduce synthetic fertilizer usage, right, and surface runoffs versus uh, output from our product. At, at the same time, so the surface runoffs are essentially, you know, go and pollute other water streams uh, once they run off from the field. So we're trying to see that. At the same time, we're trying to uh, see how it's uh, how it's affecting crop yields. Till now, we've done uh, pilots with a company in Kenya, okay. and, uh, and the results. And we've worked with 3,500 farmers there, and the results have shown that uh, the product uh, we have developed together with that company in Kenya increases farm uh, crop yields by uh, up to 25 percent. Versus synthetic fertilizers. The, the first year of application itself, or over years, that this kind of uh, uh, productivity or efficiency in crop yield comes in. Yeah, so you begin to see yields uh, after uh, after a year. Okay. The results. Yeah. Wow, that's that's tremendous yield, though, because uh, at least uh, if you can increase that much amount, and around what would be the cost factor difference? Would you see in this kind of uh, chemical synthetic and this biofertilizers. Yeah, so it's uh, it's so what I mean those are, that's something we're exploring right now. Exactly what we exactly how much we need to price it at. Okay. But the uh, I mean the partner company in Kenya that we work with uh, they sell it at the same price actually oh. as synthetic fertilizers. Okay, uh, that, that's also still fair enough that uh, even at the same price, if you can get better efficiency, yeah, it makes much more sense for any farmer. And I'm I'm sure that, that this helps uh, the soil as well nourish itself quite a lot in future. Or it has a lot of benefits. Uh, I mean, of course, this is some of the micro benefits that it has on a very large economic scale level. I mean, countries like India import a lot of uh, ammonia and phosphate from abroad to yeah. make their fertilizers. I mean, the I mean the vision is to uh, locally produce fertilizers, uh, right? Um, at a at a say at a block level or even uh, smaller than that, yeah. tailor it according to the uh, crops grown there, uh, according to the soil available, the climatic conditions, so that one is able to maximize the yield. So I, I can just like map a bit of it and I can imagine like, do you have any idea of how much crop residue that is burned just out in the field every year in India? I mean, worldwide, if I can say, it's it's about, I mean, in terms of monetary value, it's about $120 billion worth of crop residues that's just burnt worldwide. Wow. And if you just use a product like yours, you can actually convert it and make money out of it. Yes, yes. It's easier said than done. <laughs> but 
equipment is deployed with pharma groups and uh, it is converted to a form that has value in industry and then the industry buys that as a raw material to make various products okay. like fuel fertilizers activated carbon okay okay yeah that that's uh, very interesting specifically how big this industry was i have never realized so apart from crop residue as well what are the kind of other biomass products that you can used to make such activated carbon then not so apart from for crop residue what is uh, being used right now is fossil based sources okay essentially coal is currently used to make activated carbon and uh, wood is being used so uh, yeah i mean those, those are the only sources currently being used to make activated carbon uh, the biomass that is currently being used to make activated carbon is coconut shells okay okay so uh, then i'm assuming that product would only be there in south focused area where there are more plantations over there right so southern india sri lanka indonesia i mean essentially where there's a lot of coconut yeah. production okay okay fair and especially when we talk about such things as well it becomes uh, from a business point of view very important to look into the aspect of trans uh, aspect of uh, transportation and logistic because you don't want all the less the travel it has the better more green the product is as well as the cost are low right. right yeah we want to avoid that i mean the entire idea behind this is uh, i mean till now a lot, of, a lot of biomass development is very large scale centralized units uh, you know that have essentially have to haul large volumes of biomass right essentially hauling a lot of water in the, which you want to avoid doing and uh, so the idea is to convert the biomass close to the site where it is ideally convert it to the end product there itself but if not possible convert it to the end product uh, via an industry that is uh, nearby okay so something like of uh, something like a decentralized centralized model so make sure that the cost efficiency can come right uh, with the fertilizer uh, we are actually uh, we have uh, uh, at least in the pilot still we have managed to achieve a complete decentralized production okay. so at the village level itself it is the, the crop residues are converted into the fertilizer and then sold in the, uh, to farmers uh, in and around the village itself closing the loop that that's quite interesting because in that case scenario like i think that would be quite cheap for them as well as uh, the whole execution process and it also leads to especially the community building aspect of uh, the farming as well because everyone knows where the source and the product is coming from how it is made and everything on those lines right yeah i mean that does play a part in uh, building some trust uh, definitely but uh, i mean farmers are still you know uh, i mean they don't want to uh, take a risk in you know changing what they have been doing for a very long time what has worked from the, what has worked for them essentially hmm. uh, with say you know traditional fertilizers that they have been using yeah so it does it it, it does take some amount of uh, show and tell to uh, get them involved but but yeah i mean producing locally and seeing seeing what happens definitely plays a part it's not it's not a completely alien process to them okay so but how do you how do you get on board this farmers if they do not want to change because that becomes a very interesting uh, viewpoint for at least us to understand how do farmers think and what do they do how do they proceed on their lines 
Yeah, so we essentially started with some uh, wealthier farmers that were growing some horticultural crops that had some plantations. Okay. Right. Uh, so uh, they were they were much easier to convince in using this, and uh, once we managed to scale with them, uh, that became a point of demonstration for a lot of the other farmers. Yeah. And uh, so once a few paddy farmers got convinced with that, they started uh, exploring the product. Initially, we also did things like we, you know, we we, uh, I mean, I mean, we gave the fertilizers to uh, for uh, <clears throat> to them for free very initially, yeah, for them to try out and check how the yield was, yeah. Uh, so the initial first year was not very easy in scaling up, but after that, they saw that the you know the yield was not really going down, or you know, and it was essentially uh, either remaining the same or increasing uh, by up to twenty five percent in a lot of the cases. So, I mean, after that, it was easy to spread by word of mouth okay. to other farmers. Okay. Uh, and then, how do you see this thing coming in India now? Because uh, this is Kenya's perspective. And, uh, as you yeah. Just to the previous point, I also want to add that it was, uh, it's important that the village production is done by a farmer himself or herself, right? Yeah. Uh, so if it's done by that, then it just becomes a much uh, much easier to scale through the village. So and is it uh, possible actually uh, to make it self-sustainable? That okay, this is the amount of crop residue that comes out from their village itself can be made into fertilizer, which they can use. Yeah. So the, I mean, the uh, company that we work with in Kenya on the field is called Safi Organics. The founder is essentially. I mean, uh, they have a, a production unit in the village. I mean, it's I mean that's their village. So uh, they they produce their product, right? Obviously, they utilized it in their own farm, yeah. and of course, they know the people around. So you know, just uh, that that uh, trust level just goes up. Yeah. Uh, so that's a, that plays a very important part. Rather than you know someone coming from a city and selling a fertilizer to them, that's not going to work. Yeah, but that's always the case with decentralized part, uh, right? That yeah. Local trust is one of the major factors in promotion of any product. Otherwise, uh, anyone comes from outside, they will not be able to penetrate it un- for a very long time. Yeah, I would definitely say that, right? Uh, uh, if the product adds a lot, lot of value and yeah. to, to the farmer, right? But even if it's more expensive than the current system, the farmer will buy it on the basis of some level of uh, trust uh, factor from someone else who used who has used it, even if the product is more expensive. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite interesting. So yeah, coming back to the Indian point of view, how do you see these things being developed in India now? Well, uh, to develop this in India, I mean, it has to be similarly done, right? Yeah. So we are looking to partner with groups on the ground, companies on the ground that are collecting uh, crop residues on a large scale and producing some products okay. out of it. And uh, we'd be interested to partner with them to see if our equipment can add value to any of their uh, product streams. So essentially, I mean, we're looking for people who, uh, companies who have field presence on the ground. Mm-hmm. And our technology can be used there to, you know, add more, uh, add our the value to the crop is used or add a parallel stream of products that can be made. Yeah. It depends on the context, whether that can be fuels, fertilizers, activated carbon or anything else. Okay. But with fertilizers, for example, right, uh, if we say, uh, you know, just uh, uh, work with a company that's collecting crop residues, say, in Punjab. Yeah. That has access to paddy straw and rice husk. Uh, then it's a matter of 
our equipment being there and experimenting a way to uh, develop this fertilizer mix uh, can work for the case of Punjab, for example. So that's the other thing, right? Uh, I mean, this this company in Kenya managed to make this proprietary mix, you know, uh, which uh, which is act- which is actually the fertilizer mix. Uh, yeah. Which of course is uh, uh, their IP and it's not open source. So you know, I mean, you know, that's something that cannot be replicated directly in India unless Afia Organics uh, wants to do it. Yeah. But it has to be uh, indigenously developed. So the, it will remo- involve some amount of R&D as well, uh, along with the field partnership. Okay. That that sounds like a, at least quite thought through plan. I hope you guys can achieve it as well on those lines. So, coming to one of the important questions of this whole thing about understanding future. Where do you see this uh, biomass? This is not only energy. This is utilization of biomass in different forms so that you can save energy. Uh, I feel that's more apt for it than just uh, understanding future of uh, for biomass energy. So, uh, in that sense, where do you see this whole uh, biomass industry scaling up in future? Like, I'm talking about at least 20, 25 years down the line. In the ideal case scenario that you would like to see. Right. Uh, yeah, so biomass, uh, one thing I can assure you, assure you, there's plenty of biomass in this world. There's no shortage of waste biomass that can be can be can be utilized, right? So availability of biomass is not a problem. The key challenge is uh, two fronts. One is, of course, the logistics of it. Uh, essentially, how does one transport and process this biomass from the farm to an industry, yeah. right? It is very loose, bulky, and wet, you know, so that makes that entire uh, entire process very challenging. Uh, the second aspect is, uh, right, no farmer would be interested in investing their time and money in uh, in participating in this in this value chain, if there is no economically viable off-tech market for the biomass, so those two have to be there. the the second The second part is a question of the um, is a question a question of R and D actually. Yeah. Uh, right. A lot of R and D needs to go in in uh, if we've got various bio, uh, various markets for biomass, right? So anything that is fossil based right now, uh, for example, uh, graphite, uh, graphene. Carbon black, activated carbon, uh, fertilizers, fuels, uh, all of these can be uh, explored and see how biomass can uh, replace uh, production of these things, right? Uh, so, of course, that is a question of R&D and uh, uh, scaling up over time. So, one is never going to see a very, like, you know, steep exponential scaling up like, you know, we see in traditional VC-funded startups. It is very R&D dependent and... It's going to be slow and steady growth. It's going to take 10, 15 years for this to achieve some sort of scale. And the second thing is uh, of this entire question of logistics and uh, conversion of the biomass. Yeah. I mean, this this can only happen if you have some sort of decentralized processing. processing. I mean, the traditional approach has been very centralized in a large scale, which is not going to work. Right? This has existed for the past uh, uh, many decades, and it has shown that Despite biomass not being available in plenty, it has not been able to scale. There is uh, the industry is not being able to achieve its full potential. So one has to develop technologies that process these biomass at a decentralized level, close to where they are generated. So these are the two things that uh, I see are key to key for this industry to scale. 
from our own perspective uh, we are trying to uh, have about uh, 250 systems on the ground by the beginning of 2024 uh, so that's what our target is yeah and uh, yeah I me mean, that's what our energies are going towards in achieving that okay so uh, then do you guys have this is this is quite an interesting insight as well on the whole uh, biomass and what are the challenges and what your goals are as well so if if you can share a bit of more details on the lines of uh, where uh, so if you are planning to sell 250 of such systems by 2024 that includes the whole uh, supply chain of manufacturing that you have to develop i think a whole marketplace that you need to develop and uh, to make sure that people are on board as well Uh, so what all other things and challenges do you see in scaling up to this level right so uh, first challenge is of course uh, the entire marketplace development right uh, so we have deliberately chosen activated carbon because uh, uh, it is something it is it is a value chain that already uses uh, biomass and it's a well established value chain uh, so we are kind of uh, hooking on to that to start with okay and uh, that would involve essentially focusing a lot on the product that we're making so right now our uh, our our goal is to first you know focus on the product and then uh, and uh, not worry about setting up all this field value chain and all the operations part of it okay so essentially we want to part, uh, we want to focus uh, target a value chain that's already well established okay and a biomass as well and uh, uh so and other some other challenges in india include like for startup right manufacturing is a big challenge yeah if uh, essentially for something that has a more slower and uh, steadier growth if you have to make say you know i mean finding a fabrication and manufacturing partner in the beginning is very difficult task uh, so that's what my experience is so initially one when you're prototyping for example right no big manufacturer would would be interested to partner with you Uh, even if they do uh, they will they will demand show interest in the beginning okay uh, but as soon as uh, they get a big order from some other company right that requires a very large system to be made or say hundreds of systems to be made in a month yeah uh, your your project will get sideline and it will get delayed and that's what that has been one of our experience with the past uh, manufacturer uh, but at the same time if you go to a very small manufacturer coming <clears throat> you see the quality of the product is not that really great quality yeah. of the manufacturing and the fabrication yeah. so there is a big missing gap in between uh, that something that can cater to small businesses uh, right that can manufacturers that can uh, cater to selling say 5 to 10 systems in a month initially when the startup startup is small yeah. or even earlier right when the startup is just prototyping yeah uh, so that's a big challenge uh, there are people available who do that but it's just it's a very hard task to find out and uh, we burnt our hands a lot in the beginning while doing this okay so uh, that's that's basically an opportunity for a lot of people out there that manufacturing space for new and upcoming startups is empty i see it as that point of view over here that uh, yes it's a very difficult process because of scaling and everything but if someone is in that field uh, of manufacturing and can potentially utilize it to scale it up in a different direction as well this might be an interesting opportunity uh, yes it would definitely save a lot of our time i mean, I, i think i could have spent a lot of my hassle right doing a lot of uh, doing a lot of running around work and uh, 
are getting getting things fabricated it's actually quite a operationally intensive and difficult task when you are very small team and one has to work with really small fabricators yeah and ensuring things are done properly yeah yeah so i i'll, I'll surely say it out loud that uh, if anyone does it and is listening to this please reach out to me or vidyut and we will i'll connect you to him as well if required uh, awesome <laughs> so uh, that's quite interesting uh, thought process and you have already shown where you guys are headed as well so what all other things do you expect at least on the job front that what kind of r&d are we looking at what kind of resources that needs to go into this so that such fields can come out as a winner as well and yeah. where do you see this going yeah that's a good question punith uh, one thing i would definitely say i mean one uh, if one has to Uh, generate a lot of hardware innovations in india that have a very long uh, development cycle right yeah. and uh, and they take money in the beginning to do all the r and d so currently from uh, uh, so i would like to say that i mean this can be done only through uh, it only through grants and it should be done only through grants in the beginning okay right uh, so i uh, and it should be done specifically through government grants uh and uh, research institutions uh, government uh, research institutions or private research institutions in india okay. the thing is a uh, lot of the government grants currently available in india for uh, developing technologies hmm. are uh, can actually lead to can contribute to only development of uh, a technology that is already reached a certain level of uh, technology readiness level right if it's above yeah close to trl 5 or you know somewhere so okay. that's already that, quite high so you are not really innovating but you are just strengthening the innovated product yeah you you essentially just uh, uh, doing some engin- uh, just doing the engineering of it yeah. right uh, but uh, if one has to really go down into the scientific r&d you know really really low trl work and one has to uh, do it uh, outside the university ecosystem one can still be associated with facilities at a university that yeah. one is not really student there right so at uh, uh, that i mean for that one has to really uh, need the more amount of funds uh, obviously uh, more amount of grants available from the government side yeah for these to happen the biotechnology ignition grant and uh, the actually is a very good uh, grant for this to happen but uh, this is actually a bit uh, i mean it's i would say it i mean the the quantum of funds need to be increased i mean for us to do this r&d it has um, for uh, for our work it has taken the one phd project one master thesis right me and my co-founders yeah and after that uh, three more years after that yeah <laughs> so uh, it uh, and this is combining uh, funds available in us and india yeah uh, so uh, i i would definitely say that uh, that needs to happen uh, right so this local ecosystem in india to support scientific r&d innovations and hardware not uh, not just uh, anything to do with you know uh, computer software generated computer software or you know i would even go uh, uh, ahead and say with to to with, with ai or machine learning right yeah. those typically have uh, low i guess uh, they, i mean the product can be developed much faster i mean if one has to go into co scientific r&d i mean speaking in terms of energy technology right i mean one has to think of say how how do we uh, Uh, just randomly uh, talking about uh, things like how do we uh, use solar thermal to make cement uh, to provide energy for making cement yeah. or you know uh, 
or carbon capture or storage, for example, right? All these things require a very low TR, TRL level of scientific innovation, and that requires a lot of money. True. Uh, and uh, I mean, just uh, looking at the system in the US is something that you know that can be actually copied, right? One doesn't have to like really innovate on that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the government grant system there is, uh, I mean, that has its own bureaucratic uh, problems and challenges, but it, there's a system there that is established that rewards uh, competitive uh, companies to uh, get grants, uh, right? Sometimes even up to multiple millions of dollars, right? And uh, develop the product. Yeah. And uh, so that's something that definitely needs to develop in India. We are still, I mean, our economy is still not as, I guess, uh, um, big as the US. So uh, a lot of the chunk of the funds like, is hard to utilize for such uh, things. Yeah. Uh, but uh, as our economy grows, uh, a percentage of that, substantial percentage of that should be utilized to develop this ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds uh, that sounds very uh, true as well, because I have been working on the field of innovation as well. And we were looking at the data where India hardly spends around uh, 0.7 or 1.7, something on those lines for their R&D. And uh, R&D also basically looks into improving efficiency of uh, your existing systems. So... Uh, that does not really mean that it is going directly into development of product as well. And that is something which is quite surprising, but fair enough as well from the economic standpoint. I hope uh, we can improve upon that aspect for better technology development and hopefully better make in India startups like yours. Right. All right. And with the current funding ecosystem, right, I mean, one has to get money, uh, large amounts of money then I mean essentially it's private equity at the moment and yeah. I mean it, I don't think it makes sense to get uh, a dilutive funding uh, when I mean you've not developed a product and you've not really you know uh, proven your market not does it make sense to take loans obviously so I mean this just leaves grants uh, you know for you know for you to develop your technology and the only way it can happen is by the government developing an ecosystem to do that and choosing a very competitive startups as recipients of those grants yeah, because you will also need uh, those technologies to be understood by academicians as well as industrialists. Uh, so you need a good ecosystem on the background to actually vet such startup as well so that their product can be developed uh, at the initial phase and not at TRS5 for more of that. More. Right. Okay. Uh, that, that's a very interesting piece and in point uh, from you. I guess so. Uh, that says a lot that uh, effort that you have made and the years of work that you have done on ground. I have seen uh, you do it as well. So I think I can say that uh, uh, I hope you guys succeed as soon as possible on those lines as well in India and uh, make it big uh, in the biomass sector. Anything else that you would like to add uh, to this whole discussion? Yeah, I mean... uh... I mean, nothing much more. I mean, I, I'm just, I mean, I, I get very intrigued and curious about this entire ecosystem for uh, scientific innovation and commercialization. Yeah. Uh, because I've uh, a first-hand uh, account of seeing how it, uh, how the ecosystem is in the US uh, and how it is in India. Yeah. So we're slowly moving towards that direction, but if we need to, but we need to uh, move faster now in setting up that ecosystem and. Uh, you know, there are a lot of aspects of it. I don't know, give enough time for yeah. me to 
talk about it but it essentially starts with uh, uh, innovators in the university level right phd's or uh, master level students or even undergraduate students who have an innovation uh, uh, the approach is to not putting the hammer to a nail right not yeah. going with an innovation and then figuring out the problem that is going to solve yeah one has to start with the customer discovery process uh, right in the beginning yeah uh, and then develop the product accordingly so that's what the uh, innovation ecosystem in the us starts with something called uh, uh, the icops program from the national science foundation and that gives a grant uh, for selected uh, students to try to understand a market pain point and once you get that grant uh, if you pass that program then you get a grant to develop a prototype based on the pain points that you've learned once you develop that prototype then you get uh, eligible to participate in large government grants you know from like sbir yeah uh, in the, in the us so i mean there is a stage for every I mean, for every step and uh, I, i think if I, if that develops in india i mean i would uh, that's something that could you know really let and lead to be ip generated being within india yeah true yeah that's that's a very good insight as well for us to how to actually get into this whole process of development of its own uh, uh research and development and generating more ips because india severely lacks on those terms as well uh which is something uh, i'm not sure how, uh, we are trying to focus on it for sure or uh, as a country but i'm not sure how f- productive that focus has been uh so i will not comment on it a lot but yeah we really need to make sure that uh, more and more ips are generated more and more papers are published in india to make uh, to make india a more innovative country but thank you thanks a lot vidyut uh, i'm i'm really happy that uh, i could speak to you on this uh, with, like with so much amount of good content coming from types of biomass products that comes into place to understanding the ecosystem of uh, farmers and uh, decentralized fertilizers that can be used and activated carbon as well and then eventually turning into the whole ecosystem aspect of how funding is important for such uh, startups and hopefully we can bring in more and more funding on these lines and try to develop more and more r&d in india thanks a lot for doing an episode with me yeah, pleasure pleasure puneet You have been listening to Understanding the Future podcast. To know more about Climate Center for Cities, visit us at www.c-q.niua.org and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. The show is conceptualized, hosted and produced by Punit Gandhi. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast and Spotify. So don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. Thank you and stay tuned for the next episode.